you know, this is a great season to remember the birth of our Lord. And that's what we're going to be doing this morning in the message today. The message is entitled, Jesus, Rogan and Oprah can bite it. Uh, oh, they can only dream. I guess. Anyway, <laughs> Jesus was always the plan. Jesus was always the plan. First Corinthians and Hebrews both say that, that he was always the idea. Jesus coming, giving his life as a sacrifice. All of that stuff was from before and prophesied, in fact, that it would be before the essence of time would even begin, that Jesus was always God's idea for you and I. And then there's the historical Jesus. We know that he is a figure in history. And, but today, I want to take a close look at it. We get uh, a couple of chances this season. I, I, since I, we're in Romans, we didn't do a series in um, in the incarnation. You know, in the past, we've done the five words of Christmas, the, the five women of Christmas, the five men. We've done things like that. So really, I only get two shots at this thing. It's today and then the Christmas Eve service, which is a candlelight service. And it's just with communion. It's not long. Uh, but I invite you to come to that. It's going to be just a wonderful time in God's presence and with each other. So today I want us to turn to the Gospel of John. You realize we just did a series in John here a year ago. and But I want to take and remind us of some of the things, not just from that series, of course, but some specific things as John lays the foundation for the incarnation. So John chapter 1, verse number 1, the Bible says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. You know, I so love this season of the year where we're reminded of the Incarnation. And we're also reminded of some family traditions. How many have family traditions this time of year? Uh, you do things, you open presents perhaps, or whatnot. One of the traditions that I recall when I was a boy was uh, my dad and I built my train set. And, and he would buy me a new part almost every Christmas. I'd get a new piece. And the old O scale and the, the clickety-clack tracks and uh, putting all that together. Well, he and I really did. I mean, he would buy a piece of the transformer like each year, and, and we would build the transformer with the parts and the rheostat. We'd actually wind the wire so that the, the rheostat would uh, be able to send enough power through to justify the speed of the train and, and all these kind of things. So it was, a really, it was a really memorable time. Well, yesterday I was uh, work, tinkering around with our Christmas tree, and I, I built a platform for my train because I have a train, and um, I got very emotional how many get emotional this time of year? I was reminded of my father, who's with the Lord, has been for a number of years now. And I, I be, just began to kind of, I was outside spray painting the thing in between the time where it was wet and wet again. Um, I got a window in there. And, um, I, I, you know, because I wanted to fit in the tree and I didn't want to look bad or obnoxious and stick it. But I wanted to elevate it. So I built this platform thing. It's kind of cool. I put the train up there, but while I was working and screwing the pieces together and pulling the train cars out of the box, the whole thing was just so overwhelming to me. And some of us can feel that way this time of year. And, and that's not insignificant. I think that we've lost people. How many have lost someone? You love someone or you've had people in your life that were significant that 
are no longer uh, in friendship with you, perhaps, or something like that. Or this time of the year, if you're military and you're away from family, it can be difficult, and you long to be with them to just hang out and have hot chocolate and play a silly game. I mean, you know, you do things, right? Well, this is not about that, but it is about that. It's more about the fact that the significant factor of God coming into this darkness. The Bible says that they could not comprehend that Jesus was the Messiah. Darkness can't overcome light. That's what the scripture says here. Light overcomes darkness. If you've ever been in a dark room, you understand this. One year, um, we were Christmas shopping, and we were in that great big store, Walmart, right? Uh, the plague of mankind. Or the blessing, whatever way you want to look at it. And I am in the bathroom stall, and I am taking care of my thing there. And as I take care of the business that I have to do there, uh, someone on their way out turned the light off. Well, it was pitch black in the bathroom, and I couldn't see anything. So I, I get in the stall, and I, I finagle my way, and I feel it's totally dark. And I feel, and I finally get the thing unlatched, and I'm reaching for the wall in wall in the and I finally feel the wall, and I'm kind of scooting and sliding, and I feel the changing table. And I'm like this, and I'm almost to the door, and all of a sudden someone comes and turns on the light and sees me standing there like this. <laughs> and I just say, well, someone turned the light off. I mean, yeah, right. And they just went, okay, well, whatever. I don't care what you think. <laughs> but we understand how significant light is in darkness. If you've ever been in a dark place, you know that that light makes a great deal of difference. The smallest light can light up a whole thing when we have our candlelight Christmas service. It, it starts out as one person. Each one, we give a gratitude for what the Lord has done. And as each one is lit up and we recognize what the Lord, the whole room is lit up just because all the lights of the candles illuminate the place. And the scripture says here that the darkness was so great that it didn't understand this light that Jesus brought into the world. If we think about it, Jesus was kind of an interesting person to come from prophetic uh, understanding. He was, was from a backwoods. He was a backwoods kid. He, he had a little bit of a drawl maybe when he spoke. I mean, he, was, he was born of a teenage girl. He was poor. He was not what someone might expect. Many Jews had a hard time believing Jesus was Messiah because they expected something totally different, right? I mean, the Zealots had built this idea. The Jewish people had these ideas that Jesus was going to be this, this conquering king and lead an army. And, and, and I think that after a while, this message of Jesus and to, to them had become maybe like it is to us, that as Shakespeare says, familiarity breeds contempt. It had been so talked about in the prophecy, so reiterated over and over again that maybe by this time they're feeling like, yeah, right, it's going to happen. They couldn't see that this light was coming into this darkness. The heart of God was being relayed, and it was tough for them to grasp that Jesus came in the flesh like he did. He is the word of God, and his word is more significant than all other words. His words pierce the darkness of the words of our day. The same is true today. Many don't believe because in Jesus either because of his humanity or because of his divinity. On the biggest side, there's always been an argument over Jesus' divinity, but the simplest and most obvious question to all of us is, why did God speak this way? I mean, why would he send a person? I mean, it would have been, a person is so, they're weak, fleshly and ugly, and having to deal with the things of this fleshly world, why would he reveal himself through this kind of thing? 
I mean, divinity is supposed to look like bright lights, right? It's supposed to, it's supposed to be booming from heaven. And they knew Jesus would come in the flesh, and it's been prophesied, but they didn't expect this. And today, in 2021, it's even much less expected than they did. So John is taking a big risk here when he starts his gospel account. He, he, he's bold to, re, to, to, to move by saying that God came to us in the flesh. Because on one side, there's this huge struggle with Jesus' humanity. Not that the divinity was a problem. I think they understood the divinity, right? Christians understand that. We understand that Jesus is God and he's king. And, and we envision, you know, Mary and Joseph uh, coming in. She's got a little halo and... Joseph's got a halo, and the donkey's got a halo, and her tummy's got a halo, and there, you know, we, we envision that. We can, <laughs> that's kind of what we see, that, that he is God and ruler. But I think to some degree, we struggle more with the fact of his humanity. It's true in the world today, and the contemporary church, I think, to a large degree. I, I mean, we don't struggle with Jesus the divine as much, but we do wrestle with this human side of him. I mean, he could have come announced his purpose from the, the clouds and a mighty voice from heaven, right? Booming, I can see it now, like sort of like um, um, uh, he would be a legend at that point. But that, that's a problem because then he would just be a fairy tale like Santa Claus is. But because he was flesh, he's, he's, he's in the secular history books and, and, and they know him as well. And he's accounted for in the scripture and it makes him a little more difficult to explain away. Like you just can't say that he didn't exist, that he was only spiritual, he was only divine, he was very human. And, and Jesus coming in the flesh forces people to do something with him. We have to decide who he is. Like who is this guy really and why did he come and and how come it's so important this time of the year? What does incarnation mean? Big theological term, hypostatic union, the, this junction of where God and man are all in one is exactly what's happened here, where God comes to mankind. I've said it before, God speaks God and we speak human. So God came in human likeness to speak human so we would understand. That's exactly what Jesus did. But it's because of his humanness, I think that sometimes we struggle, and that struggle takes place. And, and why is that? And I think it's because, friends, that the grip of sin in this world is so great that when the grace of God is revealed, our flesh has to choose between our own strength and the grace of God. Right? I mean, that God's the, the perfect combination of, of making an atheist is to just kill God so that you don't have to deal with that. But because Jesus is, and that he existed, we have to wrestle with this, what am I going to do with him? What, what category am I going to put him in? If you can deny Jesus the man, and, and Jesus is God, you can simply dismiss all responsibility that you and I have for our sin. In this worldview that's so predominant, the, the image of the person of Jesus has a lot of contention. And, and we wonder why this baby, more and more than 2,100 years ago now, could cause such trouble. I mean, if if he were not flesh, there would be a, there would be no problem, right? If if he were not flesh, there wouldn't be an issue. God knew this would be an issue. He's not surprised by people's disbelief. In fact, in Romans 9:33, it says, "See as it is written." I lay in Zion a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. The one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. 
I mean, wouldn't it have been easier to have God just come down with a big announcement, all the heavenly hosts singing joy to the world in perfect harmony, and everybody in the world sees him. I mean, he's on Fox. He's on CNN. He's on, do they even have C-SPAN anymore? I don't know. YouTube, right? He's, he's there. He's, he's, he's doing his thing, and he could shake the earth when he speaks, maybe. I am here, right? I mean, that way we would know he's God, right? I mean, the world would just tremble. Uh, he, okay, well, this guy, he's something else. I guess then that would make sense. I mean, and, and, and we wouldn't forget for generations to come, and that would really help, and it would help a lot if, if you would just do that. You could float down once a year after that to remind us so we wouldn't forget. You know, here I am. Uh, the choir and joy to the world and perfect harmony and, and all, all the things that would be on, you know, again, on YouTube again in between, uh, he'd be in between Tucker Carlson and Rachel Maddow, right? I mean, he'd be right there. The world wouldn't have a problem with him at that point. Well, that leaves Christians. To the Christian, picturing Jesus as God is, is not a problem. Again, Mary and Joseph with the little halos. and I mean, a picture of this, exactly when, does, at a cognizant level, does the, the uh, 10, 11, 9, 13-year-old Jesus become God? What a mind trip. What, what a total wonderment that I have about that. What a great mystery of mysteries. Like, how does all of a sudden a switch get turned on and this very fleshly, very incarnate little boy recognize that he is creator of the universe? Now, did God just dispensate the right that to him? Yet we know he grew up. We know that his mom marveled at who he was as a baby because he, she asked him to turn the water to wine or do some great miracle, and he said, it's not my time. She knew something was different about him. I mean, he... Uh, who knows what kind of punches he was packing back before? We just don't know. It, it's a mystery, right? I'm not even going to begin to speculate. That would be wrong. <laughs> but I mean, imagine the 11-year-old Jesus playing soccer. I mean, I can just see him in the soccer field and the bully of the other team comes up and knocks him over and he gets up and says, I need you. The very real flesh. We know this was a problem. We know that he wrestled with this. And we see it in the garden. But, and then the people are saying his, his countrymen, they're amazed at his preaching. And then they said, isn't this just Joseph's son? The carpenter's kid? Isn't this the kid that fixed my roof last year? That built the table in our kitchen? Yeah, the one that kid. What's, what's going on with these things? I mean, imagine this. This is, this is marvelous. I can't wait to our Christmas Eve service, and we'll, of course we'll open the Luke 2 passage. I was trying to kind of stay away from that because that's where we all go at this time of year, which is really good. It's really great. I'm just trying to do something different, all right? But as a kid in science class, the teacher expounding evolution, I'm sure he just laughed, right? Of course, it was not true. I'm trying to make that good, but they wouldn't teach it back then. It was a different philosophy, a different time among the Jewish people. But Christians, I think we don't have a problem with Jesus dealing with or being God or floating down from heaven and all that. The real issue comes when he gets knocked down during basketball practice, when he when he's just a kid. We see the struggle 
with us in Jesus when his humanness and the weakness of that humanness. How many feel weak sometimes? And the older I get, let me tell you, the longer way down to the ground it is. The sign of human desire was in Jesus and appeared in that instant in a powerful way. The option in the garden. So in the garden, here he is, and he is really toiling in God's presence. Remember, we never wrestle with God. I hear people sometimes say, I'm wrestling with God over this issue. I'm gonna, no, you're not. You're wrestling with the issue in God's presence. And that's what prayer is. That's what intercession is. The option Jesus has in the garden where he's looking forward to the cross. I mean, could you imagine his flesh looking and knowing what the cross meant and, and the torture that it meant he would be under and the physical trauma that he would have to be uh, enduring and all of those things. And here he is in the garden and he's crying out to his father. How many have been to this place? I mean, not pretty that extreme, but you've been to that place. Jesus, if it's possible, I don't want to go through this. I, I, I don't want to have to face this. I, 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 God. And here he is. I mean, the difficulties we have with Jesus being human, even considering him flesh, might be troubling. And at what point on that level does the divine Jesus with a halo, is he also man? Scripture says he was without sin, yet he makes his parents worry about where he is. I mean, I have some questions for God. I have some pretty profound theological ones. In fact, well, I won't say that. Anyway. But friends, i got to say, in that, there's real comfort. There's real comfort in the mystery. It's comfort. God comes down to us in our weakness and this, this great mystery of why and how come and all those things. It is his willingness to be flesh that is very powerful. Scripture says in Hebrews 4.15, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize. High priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. And I am so grateful that we don't serve a God that doesn't understand, that he does understand our weaknesses. Because we all share them, don't we? We all, not just the aches and pains of life, but the hard knocks of losing people that we love or suffering through family difficulties. We're, we're not like those friends who have no hope with, with thoughts of, um, uh, of life-ending situations just to ease the pain. We're, we're not like those looking to the next relationship to bring fulfillment that'll only keep us away from Jesus. We're not separated from grace when we, when we fail when we, and, and we have no reprieve. We understand that God's grace is extended to us. We have hope. We are not without strength to face life head on when times are difficult and tough. This is the joy in how we live as Christ followers, friends, and knowing Jesus. I promise you, friends, that God will do all these things in your life. He will give you these hope. 
this hope. He will give you his promise. And I know I can say that because his word says that he is the one who brings comfort. He is the one who brings that wisdom and strength and healing. If your Bible is being used and your prayer life is going on, you are more than available to receive the goodness of his comfort and his touch. His promises are yes and amen to those who believe in all this because of the word of God. So herein lies this crux of this matter. Jesus lived as we do. He was exposed to the same growing pains that we are. He certainly was under the guiding discipline of his fleshly, earthly parents. And yet, here is a 12-year-old creator of the universe hanging out with other kids. And what is this song, Away in a Manger? No crying he makes? Are you serious? Uh, what's the dealio with that? I mean, if he was human in every way, he cried, friends. In other words, when he is in that garden and he recognizes the pain, he knows what's happening. In verse 14 of John 1, it says this, So the Word became human and lived here on earth among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. Oh, got that, verse 14. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the only Son of the Father. Now I read that in the New Living for a reason, and that's good news for us. The good news is that Jesus did everything he could to be very human and put among us so that we could see, touch, feel, smell. We could recognize that he is very human, that he came to us. That song that we just sang, Redefined Beauty, I wrote it years ago and we recorded it and, and, and I was thinking about what beauty really is when I wrote the song. I'm thinking, what is beautiful in this world? Well, when I go on motorcycle rides, I go up and I have the, I've been on these breathtaking rides. I've been around Lake Tahoe. I've been different places around the country. And, and as, I, as I ride up, even Chinook Pass is one of the most beautiful places. I, it's right here, right? I mean, you can ride up in the mountains right there, and it's gorgeous, a beautiful hurricane ridge. Oh, my goodness, we live in one of the most beautiful places in the country, and if it would stop raining long enough, we could actually see it. <laughs> we don't tan here, we rust, right? So when I look at that, I think of all the beautiful things, and I remember seeing my wife on our wedding day, and, oh, she was dressed up, and she was so beautiful, and I think about the things that are beautiful, and when I began to think about uh, uh, this season, and, and I wanted to write a song so desperately, and I'm thinking, what is really beautiful? Well, a poor young woman, probably in a cave, in the most unattractive way. I've been there when women give birth, okay? It's a beautiful mess. And here she is in that most vulnerable place, a place of pain, a place of dirt and grime and ugliness. And here she is, young as she is, touched by the Creator. And she gives birth to the Savior. I mean, what's more beautiful? What is more the term beautiful than that. And it's good news for us. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5.1 For we know that when this earthly tent that we live in is taken down, when we die and leave these bodies, we will have a home in heaven, an eternal body for us by God himself and not by human hand. 
Wow. You know, understanding that Jesus came and pitched his tent with our tents, that we will one day be like him. John announces Jesus with three amazing, powerful statements in, in our text here. In the beginning is the, was the Word. Well, there's where you lose the atheists, right? Secondly, the Word was with God. This is where you lose the Jesus-only crowd or the anti-Trinity. And then thirdly, the word, of, the word was God. Well, that's where you lose the Jehovah's Witnesses entirely. They're just gone. The word is really important, and this is what I want to get to. The, re the rest was just the introduction, so. You know me, uh, or you wouldn't be here, I guess. Both the Hebrews and Greeks understood the word, word. They understood the power of the word, word. It's very significant for the Hebrews. So that they responded to the word. They had been memorizing it from the time they were children. The word meant a lot. The Torah was everything. They had passed it to one. They recited it. They memorized it. The boys, their theologians would have great discourse about it. And they would have debates about how to get to the bottom line of things. And they would just sit around and have these discussions. But because of God's word, the scripture says creation itself came into existence by the word of God. God's word is how things get done. Isaiah 55 says that God in his word goes out into all the nations of the earth and does not return void. It doesn't come back empty. So the word, the Hebrew, for the Hebrew, Hebrews, the word God, uh, uh, God's word is paramount. It's, it's, it, God's word was revered. It was listened to. At the end of the first century, we have a, a world in a time of great uh, disorder. As, as John is writing, the Greeks in the world are not bound by theology, of course. They, they have no connection there. There's no, there's no history with them. There's no tracing their heritage back through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They, they don't have any of that, but rather they have a philosopher, and his name is Pericles. Now, the, the Pericles is an important figure in Greek culture, the, because he developed this concept of the word of God, or at least the word, the logos. Now, the Greeks at that time outnumbered the Jews 100,000 to 1. Okay, so the, the Greeks, they, 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 they understood the logos, they understood it to me, uh, they, their logos, their Abraham, was Pericles, if you will, and who predated Socrates, Plato, Aristotle. He predated all those, Alexander the Great, great Cicero, all of those. But Pericles taught that the world was in a constant state of flux, and he is, and that life is always changing and moving, and, and he saw the world with, that was in so much chaos, so he came up with this concept, this philosophical uh, perception of the logos. And, and what, he, what he did was he said that all of humankind was governed through the logos. The, the, the thing, he wrote this three-volume um, um, thing, this book called The On Nature, which he describes politics and life and deals with a myriad of issues. He also taught that the soul, the human soul, was eternally in nature only if it were connected to the logos. 
And so the world was created through the logo. So he's not a Christian by any means. There's no backbone of history through the Abrahamic covenant or anything in the old covenant whatsoever. He's totally Greek, 100% in nature, separated from the influence of Christianity whatsoever. And, and so he comes from uh, um, Ephesus. He's the ancient epicenter of emperor worship and gods of many kinds. And he had this amazing concept of the logos. Imagine that that on their own, without having or understanding who God really was, coming up and conceptualizing the word. Now, he had no concept of the Messiah or Savior, so right in the middle of John's day, where John is, in the clash of these two worlds, John is writing this to the Greeks, in essence. He comes to this uh, thinking of, the, of Pericles, and he uses the word logos in his gospel. I got to tell you, that's pretty cool. Jesus is the word, the word, and certainly the highest and most significant title of Jesus that we have in the Bible. And the word to the Hebrews was so much deeper and, 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 than logos in Greek philosophy. That was one thing. But John could use that term in connection to the word memra, the Hebrew scriptures. And the word in the Old Testament is extremely significant. So, for example, if you were to look at the description of the word God, uh, Jehovah, it, it was so highly revered in their language. In, in, um, Aramaic and Hebrew, that they wouldn't say it out loud. It was only barely whispered at times. It, they carried, it was so sporadically announced. And so here we find Jesus, the Word. He is being presented as the summary of the memra of God's name. We know this because John says that he was the one from the very beginning, from before all things. Remember our text, the Word became flesh and made us dwelling among us. In verse 14, we have seen him, the one and only, got that, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John rightly defines the word. And he puts the word in a context of creator. So like Paul walking around in Acts, right? And he comes up into this place in Athens and he sees an inscription to the unknown God. They had this monument there where years ago they... Long story short, they had they were being attacked by an oppressor was coming to utterly destroy them, and so they made sacrifices and they prayed to the unknown god. And there was a miracle that had happened, and they had established this statue to remember the unknown god. And Paul comes to him and said, "The unknown god, I'm going to tell you who he is." This is the same thing. John writes his gospel so strategically and so powerfully and so perfectly and so clear. He's so sneaky. I love it. And it says, the word was made flesh. Secondly, the word dwelt among us. This also means, as I said, he pitched his tent with our tents. He became man. Why? So he could speak the heart of God, the word of God. Jesus was the word, is the word of God. What was the message? Thirdly, John writes, full of grace and truth. Wow, that is so awesome. Full of grace and truth. Now, about every other year, I tell the Paul Harvey story in 1979, but I love this because it so fits so perfectly. In 1979, Paul Harvey read a story. I don't think he authored the story, but he was talking about a man who neither revered God or didn't care anything about it. And one night, his family went off to church. His family goes off to church, and it's snowing and blowing. There's a blizzard out. 
His family leaves the house, and he, didn't, he has no interest in God whatsoever. But he's inside the house, and all of a sudden, this flock of birds comes as, as he's inside the house in, in, in the middle of farm country, and they come, and they, they, they're hitting the window, the front window of the house, and as they hit the window, they're falling dead, and they're dying because they're looking to escape the storm. And all of a sudden, he's like, well, maybe I could help these birds. And so he puts on his coat, and he gets another coat. And he goes and opens the barn doors, and he tries to wave his coat at the birds. Come in the barn. Get in the barn. And he's putting all this effort and energy. And he finally said, they're not even listening to me. If only I was a bird. Jesus came in human likeness. Bible says, and for sin to be made sin for us so that we might become what? Children of God. There's no one else that is true except Jesus. So John brings these two things together and he has a mission now. The mission of his gospel and we went over this part when we did the series in John but where Abraham was not their father the Greeks, from a place where Abraham was not their father, they are not under Hebrew law. They do not regard the feasts, the traditions of the Hebrews, and they don't care. They don't love God or anything. So John is trying to articulate Jesus in such a way so that these two worlds, Jew and Gentile, are brought together. And he's, he's the truest of missionaries in this regard, communicating gospel to a people in a lingo in a way crossing those barriers and the traditional barriers to get into their social past their social barriers to get to the truth Matthew was already written primarily to the Jews uh, Mark showed wrote his gospel it was short to the to the Romans really and uh, Luke wrote a very thorough gospel to the Gentile people very chronological Luke is and John wrote his last and I we have to know uh, many speculate, and I believe to be true as well, based just on the way it's written, that he already had those accounts. So he writes something totally different. He knew that they were in circulation. So John's gospel is different, that he doesn't say anything different about Jesus, but in regards personally, he tells the story. Much like any reporter in a newspaper would do, he writes from his perspective, and he says, in the beginning, so he starts on this common ground, and they all understood what the word was in their perspective. And, and but it, he quickly moves to the word of God and, and about Jesus being the light of the world. Notice he doesn't waste any time. In the beginning was the word, and the word was, you know, the word was God, and the word was. And he goes on and say the light of the world, Jesus being the light of the world. Friends, we all live in a world that's in need of the word of God, desperately. Our airwaves and internet are filled so much with media promoting life without Jesus and what that can be, trying to nurture the depressions along of people without having any real hope, understanding and thinking that this only this life is it. As much as I enjoy this life and my, my children and my family and my wife, of all the wonderful blessings that God gives, I still recognize that this life is not it. That all the stuff that I have banked on is not just for the here and now. And the world has is, is got words that are depressing 
They ravage children. They, they have words that are hopeless in the land. We live in one of the most spiritually depressed, near one of the most spiritually depressed cities in the world that needs a, de- a savior desperately. And the disease for sin has destroyed the ability for people to hear the hope of the gospel because we're so plagued with sin. We're so overburdened with sin. We can't hear the promise of God. Much like the children of Israel couldn't hear the words of Moses that he was saying, come on, God's got deliverance for you. The Bible says they were so into their slavery under Pharaoh, under the Egyptians, that they couldn't even hear the promise of God. But the greatest travesty of all, friends, is that the word today is missing. We, we, we've got the subpar words of, of Joe Rogan and Oprah and, and Pew Die Pie. You know, we, we've got the, the YouTube legends now. They do, these guys are bigger than, than some of the ones on television. They, they're just more popular. Just some of you that are looking at me are from an older generation. Who in the world is that? i got to tell you, every young person here knows who that is. And in the world and the culture is changing it. And the word is argued about even when opening it. Jesus is, is sidelined because of someone's offense. It's so sad. And, and the hope of Jesus is rarely explored by in our homes. And this is, a, this is a travesty. The word of God should be so uh, opened up in uh, the lives of our children, in the lives of our home. It's, it's barely uttered in some of our churches and some of our worship songs. We're constantly going <laughs> constantly look at it, new worship songs and, and we're trying to go through the filter of is this fit theologically and does it say Jesus at all you know it's all about me Lord help me, bless me Lord God bless me I know that you're with me it's all about me and, and don't get me wrong Jesus God is all about you and that he loves and cares for you but he wants to draw you to where everything in your life is all about him He's out of our government. He's out of our media. He's out of our schools. You know, Amos 8.11, he prophesied this years ago, hundreds of years ago. God's people, he tells them that one day there will be a famine in the land, not of water, clothing, or houses, or 401Ks, but a famine of hearing the word of the Lord. Jesus is just not any word. He is the words of life. There are words of death. How many remember that guy, Mari, Mari Povich? <laughs> what a horrible word, right? They would bring these guys much like um, Geraldo used to do. They would bring them in, these families, and this couple was here, and, and she had had an affair with the woman they were bringing on stage. And before you know it, there was a fight, and they're yelling at each other, and there's this family here, all oh, these kids are actually belong to this guy, and, and, and they would bring in the worst case scenarios, and they'd be fighting on the stage, and people are laughing. They're laughing at the pain and heartache and, and, and wounds of these people. I'm going, are those the best words the world has to offer? Are those the words of life? I think not. The word, the Greek word logos, which is relayed from the word lego, not to be confused by parents of those things you step on in the middle of the night. (laughs) But it means to break silence. To break silence. 
Friends, this is a powerful implication. In other words, there is something that God has been holding his tongue over that he can no longer remain silent about. Remember, there's a gap of about 400 years between the Old Testament and the New Testament from the last of the recorded words from God from the birth of Jesus, known as those silent years. But, but friends, God looked at you and I, and he saw a people struggling with such emptiness, and the Maripoviches and the Geraldos and the people in the words of the world that saying, you're worthless and you're nothing. And God says, I can't hold my tongue any longer. And he shouts and he says, Jesus! Matthew 12, 34 says, Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Well, the Father spoke. He was no longer silent. He said, I'm tired of the sacrifices. I'm tired of your dry liturgies. I'm tired of your religion. That's just not enough. I'm reminded of Melissa when we first met her. She stunk of urine when she came into the church. She smelled the high heaven, and she would cut her arms all the time razor blades and we would get them from her every Sunday for about a month and she would come in and, and, and she one Sunday she came and she prayed to receive Christ it took a couple of weeks for that heart that hardness to go because she couldn't believe that people would accept her she didn't want to come to church but you know what she didn't change she still stunk when she came in the door and she kept coming in, kept coming, and, and I couldn't figure out why. And finally, we had to talk to her, and she was in an abusive situation with her husband, and there was all kinds of things going on. We prayed with her that day, and she got such a hunger for God. I, it's hard to tell this story. We have a, many Bible school courses here at the church. Anyone can do them. They're free. There are 77 courses in all. You can take them. If you see me, Pastor Josh, I, and I'll, I'll get you hooked up. She started those courses. She couldn't even read. She would sit there, and we gave her a Bible, and she would call me a dozen times a day. Can you? I don't know what this word means. You know, some of the most simple things you would think a fifth grader would know. She, she didn't have any comprehension. She, she had been in this place in this darkness. And her husband came and, and told her that to get us a mat to get her to tell the church to get him a mattress. So we bought him a mattress, and I hauled it over there in my truck, and we threw it in there in the bed. And, and she was so happy to have this mattress. You know what? She did about twenty of those courses. She showered. She went to the Salvation Army and she, or the Goodwill, and she got some clothes. She started. She washed and combed her hair. Which to all the ladies, that was a big thing because she had never done it. She started smelling better. She, I mean, the word changed her. It literally, she had some hope. She had something to hold on to. Why? Not because somebody was a great preacher. Not because all of you are so wonderful. Because you are. But, but because the word. The word transformed her life. And friends, there are people today that, that have been receiving end of the words of death. Melissa's story is that she heard words of death from her husband. She heard words of her death every time she, since she was a little girl from her father. And it's all she ever heard. It's all she ever knew. Her world was this big. That was it. And those words were constantly pouring. You can't do this. You can't do that. You're not. No, you're ugly. You're too this. You're too that. And friends, today that's the words that the world is spewing. And God looks down and he sees a people and, and scripture says he is dressed for battle when he does this. 
He put on his garment of violence, the Bible says, and he took his sword, which is the word of God, and he strikes at the heart of the enemy and he says, no more. No more keeping my people from me. No more keeping the hope of the grace that I have from them. And he sent the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, the Son of God. And he struck at the words of death for you and I. Those words that says you're worthless, you can't do it, you're an addict, you're ugly, nothing is going to work out for you, everything in this world is all against you. Well, friends, that might still be the case. But greater is he that's in you than the one that's in this world. And in a world that's filled with such ugly words, God sends this word of invitation. He sends his son Jesus, this very simple babe. What could be more beautiful than a baby born this holy night? What could be more beautiful than this one who comes to give his life? This simple child, but yet God in the flesh. This God who, will, who, who gives not words of death, but words of goodwill toward men. Peace on earth sounds a lot better than the words of death. Sounds a lot better than your latest country song. Come on now, you play it backwards, you get your house back, your dog back, the wife. I mean, it. salvation for the struggles in your mind, salvation for your life now, and to give you hope, your circumstances might still be the same. I'm not saying God's going to deliver you out of every circumstance. I cannot make that promise. Jesus never did. He said, he will be with us. And the hope in us is that great hope. Our God, our Savior, the Word of God. A word like no other word in this world. Words unlike political words. Words unlike words filled with angst or malice and conspiracies. A word like no other. Jesus.